0: take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 20. We'll read those this morning. Let us give attention as we hear God's word. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing that we have to be your church, and we pray this morning that as we open your word and consider the things that you have spoken to us, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and our souls, oh Lord, uh, Father, and help us to receive this word by faith. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, Kirk of the Plains will be three years old on September 3rd. Uh, that's when we had our first morning worship service as as a new church plant. But much like a human birth where the baby is alive in the mother's womb long before the day of its birth, uh, so it was with Kirk of the Plains. It existed a long time before September 3rd, 2017. And if you just happen to have tons of time to kill and you know you have nothing else to do and you want to ask me about it, I'll be more than happy to bend your ear for a while and just declare the many things that, that God has done. But I can remember when the thought of a church plant in Andover was nothing more than an idea in my head. And, and God was working on me to prepare me to plant this church. I didn't want to do so. Well, maybe I shouldn't say I didn't want to do so. I didn't see myself as qualified to do so. I didn't see myself as a church planter. It, it was on my heart then and it's still as, as much on my heart today to believe that we need to plant Presbyterian and Reformed churches across the state of Kansas. We need to be aggressive to be doing that. But I was totally convinced that that was not my calling. That was somebody else else's calling. And so I had to have one of those times when I was wrestling with the Lord again. I've had way too many of those times in my life. I should learn by now I should just listen to Him. But I was wrestling with the Lord and, uh, and struggling. Uh, and uh, he gave me a verse that addressed many of my fears and my anxieties. I mean, you have to, you have to remember uh, that you know, I was in a, in a very secure job in a very stable church that I loved. And the church loved our family. And it was hard to leave that church. And not only that, but to think about stepping out in faith and planting a church from scratch with an uncertain future. That was sort of scary. Uh, And and not only that, but uh, at the same time, uh, there was a church plant in our presbytery that had recently closed its doors under very difficult circumstances. And and a lot of people were weary of church planting at that time. Not only myself and even the church I came from, but even our presbytery. uh, There seemed to be some, some cautiousness. And so it was in the face of all those things that the Lord says, Rick, I want you to plant a church in Andover, Kansas. And so maybe you can understand a little bit of the fear and trepidation in my heart as we sought to do so. But the Lord was gracious to give me Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what I focused on was the last part of that. I will build my church, says Jesus, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it was that promise of Christ that allowed me to put one foot in front of the other to then start moving towards planting a church. And I'll be honest with you, it is the same confidence that I have today in the face of COVID, in the face of natural unrest, in the, the face of world upheaval, in the face of natural disasters, to continue to be part of a church plant in Kansas. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, almost uh, a year before our kickoff Sunday of uh, morning worship services, we started worship services on Sunday night. That was October 16, 2016. We were meeting just down the road here at the Andover Senior Center. And uh, we had our first worship service. Some of you were, were there at that worship service. And uh, on that Sunday night, for the first sermon at Kirk of the Plains, I preached a sermon entitled, I Will Build My Church from Matthew 16, 18. And now, three years later, I want us to revisit that text again. But I'm not simply going to preach the same sermon, okay? I've come back to this text a lot over the years. I mean, you do not know how many times I've come back and held on the promise that jesus said especially in those difficult times i've listened to a lot of sermons on this text i've read a lot on this text and i've been encouraged by a lot of godly men but probably no one more so than from sinclair ferguson and, and even a lot of the things i'm going to be sharing with you this morning are things that i've gleaned from him and benefited and i appreciate it And i pray that as we look at this text over the next couple of weeks And I pray that you will be encouraged as as I have been encouraged by the fact that Jesus is the one who built his church. Now, before we get to the points in our sermon, I I just want to lay out some things that you may go, Well, duh, Pastor Rick, of course that's true. But I want us to think about those just a second. And that is, first of all, that we are not the builders of the church. You got that? We are not the builders of the church. Now, if you want to put it in human terminology... Maybe you could say we're the subcontractors. You know, uh, we are nothing but servants. We are God's fellow workers. That's how Paul describes himself and Apollos and others as they worked in the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. That they were servants. They were God's fellow workers. And that's what we are in his church. But Jesus himself is the one who builds his church. Jesus is the one who preserves his church as well. And so today we're going to be looking at what the church is and just how that applies to our lives. And then next week we're going to look more at how Christ defends his church in the face of opposition. And then thirdly, just how he expands his church uh, around the world. But uh, the purpose of Jesus coming into the world was not simply to save individuals. I know as Americans, that's what we think of. We always think of Jesus in me or Jesus and my family. That's what we think about. But uh, uh, he states here that his purpose is to build the church. Now turn if you would to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to use Matthew 16, 18 sort of as a jumping-off point, and we're going to look at a lot of different texts. So have your Bibles ready. But in Ephesians 3, 8 through 12. Paul says that uh, this is a secret that God has kept. He has a secret that he's kept from ages past. And that God in the church is showing his wisdom. And and we, in a sense, are illustrations of, of God's wisdom. He has brought us to Christ in many different ways. I love to hear people's testimonies. Because I love to hear the different ways that God worked in individuals' lives to bring them to faith in Him. And oftentimes, no two stories is exactly the same. It's just amazing to see how God does that. But He also has given us different gifts. And so you see His wisdom in many different ways. But it takes all of us in this congregation, and even more, because the church is bigger than just our congregation, to reflect the wonderful wisdom of God to others. And so the purpose of Christ is not to treat you and me as isolated individuals and and to work on us individually, but to bring us together to create a church out of us. Do you get that? Let that just sink in for a moment. And so when people visit Kirk of the Plains and they see us together, they may get a fuller glimpse of the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the glories of His unmistakable mercy. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, what does it mean for you and me to be in this fellowship with Jesus Christ as He has promised to build and preserve His church? Well, I want us to see three things this morning. First of all, that the church consists of people who are brought together in Christ. People who are brought together in Christ. And and I don't need to remind you that the church, that Kirk of the Plains, is not this building. Okay, Kirk of the Plains is what meets inside the building. It is the people. So as we talk about Jesus Christ building the church, he's building you. He's building you. Now, he does add to the numbers those who are being saved. And so uh, we have seen growth, and we will continue to do that in the church, I'm, I'm sure. But he also builds up his people. We are the church. So what Jesus is doing is building us together in order that we might become a living temple. Now Peter talks about that. Uh, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And Paul uses this imagery. He starts out by speaking of Christ, and he says, As you come to him, that is, to Christ, a a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, as we come to Jesus, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, as a a tabernacle, as a temple. I mean, think about uh, in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle or in the temple. And so the presence of God's glory dwells with the people who make up his church. God's glory, his presence, dwells with the congregation of Kirk of the Plains. Do you think about that? Or is Kirk of the Plains just somewhere where we go on Sunday morning? Or do we understand that God is, is building us together? Now... Obviously, these passages deal with the church at large, too, as well. Okay, that's primarily what the focus is. But it also applies to each individual congregation as well. So Jesus is building his church stone by stone, as we see in 1 Peter 2.5. But now some, uh, now some of you in our congregation, you are builders. You, you are people that know how to build things. I'm somebody who wishes I knew how to build things. But some of you actually know how to build things, and you're actually very, very good at it. Uh, but just imagine, if you would, if you were trying to build something out of stones, but the stones had personalities all their own. Uh, they spoke back to the builder. They resisted the builder. They wiggled and they argued and they refused to do what the builder was trying to do with them. And that's what's happening with the stones that Jesus Christ is putting in place, right? We, as his people, we have personalities of our own. We have wills of our own. Unfortunately, we have sins of our own as well. And there's all kinds of different people. There's difficult people. There are easy people. There's all kinds of... ...and personalities, and just imagine trying to build with such stones. And just imagine about how deaf Jesus must have to be sometimes as He hears what's in our hearts and as we're struggling with Him. I mean, could you just imagine a conversation with Jesus, something like this, where the builder patiently tells us, You're going to fit in here. And we say, Lord, I'm not going to fit in here. And He says, Yes, You will. And we replied, nothing's going to make me fit in here, Lord. And he says, yes, you will, even if it kills me. And it did. It did. It killed him to get you to fit in here, just in the right place. But do you see the glorious result of what, what Christ is doing? He's taking people like you and me, who would never meet, maybe in a million years, and He is binding us together by the divine cement of Jesus Christ. You could say, in essence, we're sort of stuck with each other, right? You've heard the phrase, you know, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. It's even more so the case with Christians. We, we, we are stuck together because we are in union with Christ. And if we have been brought together by our Lord Jesus Christ, then we are called to love one another. I mean, just think about 1 Corinthians 13. We're to be patient, kind, gentle. Love loves the truth. All these things are true of our relationship because Christ died to put us together. Now, just just think about that in terms of people's view of the church today. Uh, it's so easy for a consumeristic mentality to come into our minds. If so we go into a church and we're thinking, okay, let's see what the church can give me. Let's see what, you know, if it'll meet my needs. And so we sort of see the, the church as a opportunity for us somehow to get our needs met. And yet, Christ talks about. He's taking the people and he's building them together. He's cementing them together. Now that doesn't mean that a person never leaves a church. That may be the case from time to time for various reasons. Okay, But still there is a sense in which uh, he has died to bring us together. And nothing on earth or in heaven or even hell itself will stop Christ's purpose of finding us together in devotion to one another. And in a way that's absolutely without parallel in the world. And so brothers and sisters, that's what we're looking for and longing for in fellowship, isn't it? That that as we grow together as a body, that we grow together. That we're not a bunch of individuals that come and spend time with one another. But that we are cemented together. And even as people visit Kirk of the Plains, that they will be able to say that there is something here that is different. There's something here that I don't see anywhere else. And what is that? Well, it is the evidence of the master builder who is determined to build his church. To build his people together in the fellowship of his presence. But the church consists not only of people who are brought together, but also people to meet with God as well. If you look at Matthew 16 18, the word uh, that's translated church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out ones. And we'll talk more about that in our third point. But it really means being called out for the purpose of an assembly. So you could say that even though it technically means the called out ones, it's talking about an assembly. It's the one uh, word that's used in, in the Greek Old Testament to talk about the assemblies of God, when God would call His people together. And if you recall the the first assembly of God's people before the Lord, uh, um, before He called them uh, out of Egypt, it was at the foot of Mount Sinai. God had redeemed His people from Egypt, uh, not simply to deliver them, but that they might come and they might meet with God in the wilderness to worship Him. Do you remember what Moses said to Pharaoh? God says, let my people go. But why did he say to do that? Because he said the Lord wants to take them into the wilderness so that they might worship him. And that's what he was calling them to do. And throughout Israel's history, God has those assemblies where he calls his people together at various times throughout the year uh, that they might be face to face with their God and they might praise him. Uh, And in those times, Israel was reminded That God was amongst them and that he was gracious to them. He was reminding them, I am your God and you are my people. You are a treasured possession of mine. And so in Matthew, Jesus is saying that the church is the new assembly of God's people before the Lord. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. You didn't think we were going to get by without looking at Hebrews at least a little bit, right? So Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 18. And uh, the author is comparing two mountains. He's comparing Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. Okay, And and, and as we get to Hebrews 12, 18, here he's describing Mount Sinai. And if you remember uh, the account from the Old Testament in Exodus, how the people came to Sinai and they were... Terrified, uh, as, as the Lord spoke to them. They saw the fire on the mountain. As a matter of fact, when the Lord spoke to them, what did they say? They turned to Moses and they said, You speak to us, but don't let the Lord speak to us. We're terrified. Well, this is what we're reading in Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched. He's talking about Mount Sinai. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned you see the, the sight was so terrifying when God came down upon Mount Sinai to assemble with his people before him that we read in verse 21 Moses said I tremble with fear but, but the writer of Hebrews says that you have not come to the assembly of Mount Sinai. He said you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And then he describes something. Brothers and sisters, what the author of Hebrews says in verses 22 and following is what happens every time we gather to worship God as his people, as we gather as the assembly to worship him. Uh, this is what we experience. And we are to believe it by faith so that we might experience it. Listen to what he says. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are in, enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the moderator of a new covenant now in in one sense this is something that's still yet to happen in the life of a Christian um, if you look at Hebrews 13 14 the writer talks about we seek the city that is to come so there's sort of a future aspect of this however in another sense uh, we've already arrived at this city uh, Paul talks about how we are citizens of heaven he says that we have been raised up with Jesus and seated. Up, he has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Ephesians uh, 2.6. Uh, as, as it says here that you have come to Mount Zion, this is in the perfect tense, showing that it's happened. And so this is one of those texts that sort of you see the already and the not yet. We're already experiencing this to some degree, but not to the fullness that we will one day. But um, as we gather Uh, as God's assembly, earth sort of breaks through to heaven and, and and as we assemble, we lift our voices and worship and praise to God and to His glory with the saints that are there. One day, we will experience the assembly of all assemblies in heaven, will we not? Where every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there. And we will be in heaven and we will give praise to Him and it's there, in the ultimate sense, in which God is, will come down to be with His people and fill His place with splendor. But but even now, we get a taste of that. As we gather this morning, and Sunday morning, we come into the assembly of the Lord to worship Him. Brothers and sisters, if we come on Sundays and we just sing the songs and we just listen to the scriptures without an understanding of what's taking place, uh, we, won't, we won't really understand the greatness of our God. But, but He calls us as we come to sing to understand that we are singing with the saints. That as we stand and we hear the Word of God proclaim, this is the Word of the Lord. Imagine if you were in heaven and God spoke. Would you not listen and give attention to that and heed to that and say, yes, Lord, I want to do what you say. And so as we gather, it's not just merely a group of people that gather in a shopping center in Andover, Kansas. But it is saints who come to to worship the Lord. Look back at Hebrews chapter 2. I want to show you one other thing real quickly if I could. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, it talks about how Jesus declares and extols the name of the Father. That is his character to his church. Uh, Let me read that passage. Actually, let me back up to verse 10 to give you the context. For it was fitting that he, for whom, and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That is Christ. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's why Christ calls us brothers, saying... I will tell of your name. In other words, Christ will tell the name of the Father to His brothers, to the church. Okay? In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. But even more wonderful than Christ revealing the character of God to His church is He, he says as He meets with this church, Christ joins His brothers and His sisters as well in singing the praises of of God the Father. Now think about that. Christ leads our praise and our worship. And as one person described Christ, He is the chief conductor of our hymns. Now what an encouragement to us to praise God with more passion and with more zeal. uh, Because we are coming to be in the presence of God and to meet with Him. And brothers and sisters, I cannot think of one account in Scripture, where someone encountered the Lord and wasn't changed in a significant way because of that encounter. And yet we come each Sunday as the assembly to worship and praise Him. As we come to worship, do we trust by faith that what we are doing is a spiritual reality of meeting with God Himself? That's who we are as the church. To worship Him together. And so, The church is uh, people called together, uh, people called to meet God, but also the church is people who are called out of the world to live for Christ as well. Um, As I said before, the the word church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. And yes, there is a sense in which with that word it means to assemble, uh, but it also is called to leave something. And in the case of the Christian, it is to leave the world. Look back at First Peter chapter two, if you would, again, and Peter is uh, describing the church, and you're going to appreciate this text, especially after looking at uh, studying Hebrews. He says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." You see that those terms that we see oftentimes applied to the Old Testament saints uh, are now applied to the New Testament saints, a people for His own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who what, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, God calls us out of the world and out of the former lives of our sin, where we no longer belong to the old world in which we once lived, but instead to a new world, a new kingdom, a new way of life. And as Jesus describes the new community as the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. He is insisting that He calls us together out of the world in order to return to the world as those who no longer belong to it. Now, did you hear what I just said? You see, what Jesus does is, Jesus calls us, what He do? Out of the world. and makes us different in order that we might return to the world, but no longer belonging to the world. So we don't just act like the world as we are there. We are bearers of good news that come. We are people who have been changed. People who are under new management in one essence. Uh, This is uh, something that is both our privilege and responsibility as a fellowship of God's people. Because we have been called out of the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that must be absolutely certainly true about us is that we are different from the world. That we don't just watch the same movies that the world watches. That our language isn't the same as as the world. That the way we respond to people when they wrong us is not the same of the world. Um, And we are different not because we think we are better than the world. Or because we have a spirit of rebellion. But listen to this brothers and sisters. Because you cannot possibly get near to Jesus Christ without becoming different. Than the world in which you live. You can't get close to Jesus Christ and still be like the world. That's what John talks about as he says, you you know, he says you you cannot love the Father and love the world. If the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father is not there. Okay, but if you love the Father, then you do not love the world. And so as, as people come to our church, they will see a dimension of life that seems unusual maybe a, a little bit of heaven, a church with a, at least with a heavenly sense about it because we are Christ Church and we are strangers and we are aliens in the world. Uh, one of the reasons why I want to walk through this book uh, of Kevin DeYoung's The Hole in Our Holiness is because we've lost his sense of holiness. You know we talk a lot today about being authentic and real and genuine and those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But we've sort of done away with, with holiness and stuff. And maybe sometimes because we've seen that concept abused. We're going to be talking about that too as well as we study that book. And, and so we've just sort of done away with that. But in the early church, Christians were described as a third race of men. They were seen as different. They were seen as a, as a peculiar people. And so it is with us today. We are different from the world because we are submitted, we are called to submit to Jesus as king. And as king, Jesus subdues us to himself. And as we are subdued to him, as we give our will to do his will, we do so not begrudgingly, but kneeling before him with great joy, saying, Jesus is Lord. But brothers and sisters, how often do you see Christians being quite the opposite? You know, it seems like we are, we in our country, uh, experience a leadership vacuum. But I would also say that uh, part of the attitude of our country, too, as well, is people don't want to be followers. They, they, you ever hear people talk about whenever they're responsible for a group of people, they'll say and they're supposed to be leading that They'll site, it's sort of like herding cats. You know, in other words, everybody sort of wants to do what's right in their own eyes and to do what they think. But that's not what the church is. That's not what Jesus is doing in building His church. As King Jesus, He comes and He graciously subdues our lives. The great challenge for us is that we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of King Jesus. Because He is the king of the church. He is the Lord of the church. Brothers and sisters, are these things true of us as a church in Andover, Kansas? Is that the way that you think that the world views us as a church, the way our community views us? Is that the way that we think of ourselves? Are we a people who are called together? Are we a people who are called to meet with God? Are we a call... To be a people who have been called out of the world but to minister for Christ? Are we a people who have bowed to the absolute kingship of Jesus Christ in our lives? Is that as true of you individually as we long for it corporately to be true of our congregation? Or could it be that uh, you have never come to the place where you've been able to say like Simon Peter... Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, you are the one who leads me in worship. Jesus, you are the one who speaks to me and I obey. You are my King who rules over my life because you are the Savior who brings me the forgiveness of my sins and makes me right with God and with others. And when that is true, and we are able to say that Jesus, and that we are able to say to Jesus that all that we are and all that we possess is yours without reservation. When we can say that to Christ, then we will see in new and wonderful ways what it means for Jesus Christ to build the church. In our fellowship, we're a modest body of believers, right? Um But in our fellowship, we don't lack resources, believe it or not. Whether that be finances, whether that be spiritual gifts, whatever it might be. We really don't lack resources, nor do we lack opportunities in terms of being the church. The only issue in our fellowship is, are we bowing individually and bowing as a church to say, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Please go with me if you would. we rejoice this morning to think that you are the one that built your church. We thank you for your, your patience and your long-suffering and working with your people. God, in, in carrying out your purposes, we know that nothing will thwart your plans. But Lord, we also know that we are oftentimes rebellious. Lord, that, that we don't always fit this beautiful picture of what your church looks like. And God, we know that um, not only is the struggle from within us, but from outside of us as well, as Satan and the world is seeking to cause us to conform to what they want us to be rather than your picture. But Lord, I pray as Kirk of the Plains, that we would be uh, your church, that we would be the people that you've called us to be, that you would continue your work. I thank you for the faithfulness that that you have shown us in the way that you have already begun to build your church the people in this congregation and i pray that you would continue to do so lord that you would address the the sin of our heart sometimes maybe god the the apathy and even just the sense that we don't care about these things and i pray oh god that you would give us a, a fervor and a zeal to know and to understand and to be that which you have created us to be. And Lord, that you would uh, help us to realize what that means to be stuck together to one another and to love one another and to care for one another and to, and to minister to one another. Lord, to be bold witnesses to those around us. Oh God, I pray that you would add to our number those who are becoming new believers and uh, coming to faith in Christ for the first time, not just people coming from other churches. But please, Lord, would you do that. Not for the sake of our church, but Lord, that your name would be glorified. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.